A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Kevin and Dig. Oh, I love it. Thank you, man. That's. I hope we recorded that. I do, yeah. We, it's all recorded. I, I sing that song for everybody and it's genius lyrics because all I have to do is change the name at the end. It works, though. It works very charming, <laughs> Jason. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely delightful. I've spoken to you a few times, known you for quite a long time. Uh, you once talked to one of my clients about me and said nice things, which I appreciate greatly. And I've never actually been on a show properly with you. So it's absolutely delightful because I know you're incredibly intelligent. Oh, likewise. Jason, thanks so much, man. Uh, again, you're super charming. And I only say things, uh, good things about people who deserve it. So uh, that's on Ooh. you. Should we just keep charming each other? Yeah, I was like going to say, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so that. Shit's good. Right, we're going to start off with the brand cert because uh, your brand cert's really cool. Uh, if we show that first slide, I was looking you up in America, and we've got this, and it's the new kind of uh, knowledge panel with the two parts split across both sides, which I absolutely love, and I now really don't like looking at the other one, which we'll see in a minute. But a few things here. Number one, you've got lots of photos at the top. And uh, you're on my knowledge panel, and I'm on your knowledge panel. And we say, both that share. Made me the proudest of of the whole uh, brand circle here. <laughs> that was like, I'm like, this company is all you can ask for, right? Yeah. Well, we both share Rand Fishkin and Cindy Crum, as it were. So I think there's some kind of close connection, but there isn't actually a connection between us, which is curious from Google. The other thing I saw is your about page has got a video square video thumbnail. That's right. In desktop. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a presentation that I gave a long time ago. Uh, but what's funny is that, you know, there's this, this like black and red thread going through the whole brand SERP. Yeah. Uh, it's more by accident, but uh, yeah, I seem to wear the same shirt a bit too often, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I thought I thought it was on purpose, the, the black and red thing, because you're wearing black today. But if we now yes. look at the Australian one, there you go. And we've got yeah. the old style knowledge panel. Doesn't that just look kind of like boring and, and dull all of a it sudden? It does. It does. It looks so 2018. <laughs> but actually, if you look over on the left-hand side, it's presenting the About page as a kind of site link indented rather and without the video um, thumbnail. That's right, yeah. Not as pretty. So, yeah. I mean, from my perspective, it's a great brand set, but I also kind of wanted to point out that it's very different because of the design, in fact, of Google rather than the results from Australia to America. Um, I think people fail to realize that these things do change a lot across different continents, but just different countries as well. Um, so that's it for the brand SERPs today. We're now going to move on to split testing SEO experiments. And I purposefully didn't learn anything about it so that you can teach me what I need to know about split test SEO experiments. So can we start off, what do you mean? I love it. Yes, absolutely. Um, so generally, split testing... I think a lot of people are familiar with user testing, right? Where you split a user group into a control group and a variant group. You make the change to the version that is exposed to the variant group and then compare the reaction basically to the control group. That's like the, the very high level. That's really what we're talking about. And, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of nuance in there. And there's also um, a bit of a nuance when it comes to SEO testing specifically. Uh, so generally, just to, to, to set the stage a little bit, you know, I think... Uh, you know, to be a bit bold here, I think that if you don't do SEO testing these days, your chances of succeeding are very, very low. And the reason I say that is because for once, SEO has become really competitive in my mind, you know, especially right. in certain verticals, there are 
brands with million dollar budgets, with huge SEO teams, with great knowledge. Uh, and it's really hard to compete if you don't adopt the testing mindset. Number two is that the Google ranking algorithm or what we consider the Google ranking algorithm has become so complex that mm. there's there's not probably not a single person to really understand all of it. You know, it's almost like the uh, the, the tax system. But, uh, but isn't it also with machine learning that, that things have moved so far away from even the humans at Google that even the people at Google don't really understand? They're saying basically we've got this big package you need to please the package. The package is aiming there, and so you need to aim where the package is going. I don't know why I'm calling it a package. It's an algorithm. Package is fine. But if, if funding, <laughs> you're absolutely on, on point here, Jason. And the thing is also that this package changes over time, right? It's not just, hey, this is where you have to aim for. It's like this is where you have to aim for for now, and next right. month it could be slightly different. And not these 180 changes, but there's constant process of, evolution and adoption going on you know funny anecdote um so i'm jewish and currently there are lots of jewish holidays and so a week ago i was at this jewish event here in chicago uh, at the beach and um I, it was like a completely new group of people and you know i got in touch with some of them and so of course turns out that one of these people is a google engineer and she works uh on the uh, core algorithm and you know how many secrets i learned about that Exactly zero, because there's not a single person that knows everything, you know. There are dedicated teams that just work on all the recipe SERPs or all the SERPs related right. to a specific vertical. And so it's very fragmented. Of course, there are some teams that bring it closer together. There is a very shielded team in, in Mountain View. Um, but go ahead. But, 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 well, but that means that if you're in the recipe space, the team working on the kind of specific tweaking of the recipe algorithm in the blue link algorithm, the core algorithm, is going to be slightly different to the, the shoe vertical because they've got a team working on the shoe vertical, however it might be. So, yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all deeply, when we generalize, we're really barking up the wrong tree. Right, right, absolutely. That's what it comes down to, right? And that's why testing is so important, right? Mm. Things in your vertical might be slightly different. Uh, even, you know, a long time ago, I was working at Search Metrics, and back then they still did these ranking factor studies. And one of the outcomes was that the travel vertical is very different than, say, the retail mm. vertical or the finance vertical, even when it comes to ranking signals. So you have to test to find out what works for you, and you have to test because the algorithm, the algorithm constantly changes right and talking about uh, verticals one thing with calicube that i've been doing is is diving down into entities on a geo entity type and um vertical uh, industry level and it is stunning what what i do is pull up the 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 dominating blue links the dominating social channels the dominating news the dominating uh, video uh, dominating trusted sources for the knowledge graph and it differs enormously between industries, entity type, and geo. It's stunning. Sorry, I've just gone off on a rant. No, it is stunning. It is absolutely stunning. You know, I think the brand syrup you showed earlier is a good example of that. Um, but yeah, entity, knowledge graph, I mean, all these things are not, they're not the same uh, globally and, and, and by vertically, as you said. And so. Right. But, and, and that's sorry, the point you were making, let's come back to that, is that because it varies so much across industries, because it varies so much also in, in terms of the types of results that will appear, if you're not split testing, you're shooting in the dark. 
You shoot it in the dark, absolutely. You have this old mindset, which I call the, the blueprint SEO mindset. And I grew up in that world. There was a catalog of things and how they should be. And you go to a site and you see, is, is that the case or not? Okay, then we got to change things, right? Today, not that easy anymore. We have a, we have a, high, we have a, a map, a high-level map of what is important. We know content, you know, titles, backlinks, all these kind of things. Um, but to go a level deeper, we need to test what works. Uh, and so there are different types of tests. Uh, we so just ahead. before we go on that, yeah. just one one point. There are some fundamentals that never change, like being crawlable and being in indexable. You've got your basics. Once you've got your foundations, just to make sure nobody goes off and starts split testing, indexing, and crawling, um, and then you can start building the split testing, which is where we come in. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's some there. there uh, if you, the four steps basically of the uh, of the ranking process in my mind, right? As you mentioned, there's the indexing part or the crawling part, um, rendering, indexing, and then ranking, right? And the first three steps, they basically don't change. This is information retrieval. We're just talking about the ranking right. part of, of the uh, process. Good call out, uh, Jason. And so when it comes and to, you know... We just keep being charming to each other for about <laughs> half an hour. We're doing a very good job. I just appreciate each other so much. Uh, but there are basically three types of, of testing in, in right. my mind, right? And so um, we, we call this episode split testing. That is the most common one uh, and is most applicable when it comes to aggregator sites. An aggregator is basically a site like a marketplace or an e-commerce store where you have a lot of pages with the same template. eBay is a great example. Um, Amazon, of course, is e-commerce players, but then mm -hmm. also sites like Facebook uh, or LinkedIn, right? They have a, a profile page, they have a company page, maybe a couple of others, but basically they have like a, an overseeable amount of page templates that all have the same elements and components. And that makes it very testable because it's very simple to take a large number of pages with the same template, split them into one or split them into two or several groups and then make changes and measure the impact. Very basic, very easy. Oh, sorry, I have, a, I have a, a, a statement to make just really quickly. There's a webinar tomorrow about indexing and crawling with Don Anderson and Fabrice Canal on Duda tomorrow. Sign up for that. Second point was by doing that split testing, if you take a profile page, Fabrice Canal from Bing was saying it really relies on sites having this templated system where it can rely on the way the page is built in each of these um, different templates. So it will go all the way through LinkedIn and expect to see the same template all the time. If you're split testing, aren't you throwing it a big curveball? Yeah, absolutely. And and. We're going to get to the counterpart in, in just a second. Oh, but yes, no, no, you're good. And by the way, Dawn and Fabrice on a webinar, it sounds pretty tempting. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really this kind of uh, templatization uh, that makes things easier to test. And we have a high degree of that on the web, um, in part because of CMSs, you know, like WordPress or maybe like a Shopify. But anyway, long story short, much easier to test. They're very straightforward. The counterpart of aggregators are integrators, and those are usually sites that rely heavily on content, SaaS sites, maybe publishers, and that's where every page pretty much looks different, right? The content mm. is very different. You don't have a product catalog. You don't have the same elements. You have a variety, and that demands a fundamentally different type of testing. And that's what we often speak about before and after testing, where basically you make a change and then you just see does traffic go up or down, does click-through rate go up or down, uh, clicks, impressions, those kind of things. And those are valuable, but we often disregard that we can also do a form of split testing 
on non-templatized pages. And this is, you know, if, if there's one more controversial statement that you would want to take away from our conversation, I think it, it would be that, is that these before and after tests are actually not very valuable. No. And instead, you want to adopt a split testing mindset, even when it comes to non-templatized pages. Right. But if it's non-templated, it's an enormous amount of work to go through to actually split test because you need to apply them on a one-by-one on -one basis or be incredibly smart with your regex in your database. That's right. And so here, here's what you want to do about this. So first of all, you, you can still look for control groups even if not all pages are templatized. It is more work. And you know, best case, you have some sort of telemetry or tool that helps you do that. But even manually, you can just see, okay, which pages have the same traffic patterns over a long span of time, right? This is, we're going to get into testing, uh, into test design in just a moment and what factors are important. But just know that you can still pick control groups even if pages don't have the exact same template. Right. Okay. And right. In that case, how many pages, if you're doing that, do you need to actually take into account? I mean, I would just say ah, two or three, let's see what happens, but you're not going to accept that, are you? I might actually, you know, I, I think it depends <laughs> much more on, <laughs> on the amount of traffic, right? Uh, so here's the thing, right? If, if you, what matters much more than the number of uh, control pages right. is, are they following the same traffic patterns? One. And two, is there a significant amount of traffic, right? So if you have a page, it ranks for two or three keywords on position five, the noise is going to be so high, you're not going to get anything meaningful out of it. So we're talking about pages that get at least 100 visits a day or have at least a, a somewhat steady uh, traffic mm -hmm. pattern over time. Now, the kicker of where many 90% of people fail when it comes to SEO testing is to revert the change that they make. What happens most of the time is that you make a change on a page, say you add a the 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 current year to the meta title. You roll that out on the page, you see, oh, the page gains more traffic over time. Awesome, successful test. But it's not true. That is not mm. a successful test. It is only successful if you revert the change, you take the year out of the title again, and then you see the traffic coming back down to baseline. Then you know it has an actual impact and then you can also understand the incremental value of adding the year and title oh right you just made me think of something else as well but right that that point is saying we've got this it goes up here and then it goes back down or it goes down and then it goes back up and if you haven't done that you don't actually know i mean wouldn't most people i mean as you say they just go yeah it's gone up so that's happy and we'll move everything over to that yeah. and you're saying that that's a foolish mistake that we shouldn't make that i probably would have made if you hadn't told me well, it's, you know, it's tempting. It's also very painful to revert the change, right? Because, hey, now I got all this traffic. Why should I shoot myself in the foot? Um, but if you if you want to really determine the impact, you have to do it. And why have to, do you have to do it? Because SEO does not deal with laboratory, uh, laboratory conditions, right? We cannot isolate mm. single factor and say it's it's 100% that. We can only say there is a very likely chance it is that single factor that moved the needle. And by reverting the change, we increase the robustness of the test or the statistical significance. Now, just as an aside, you know, for all the uh, statistics fans who are tuning in right now, every SEO test is a quasi-experiment. You know, it's not, it's not hmm. the, the super 
rigid statisticians here in the audience they'll probably say oh, it's not real SEO it's not real split testing and yeah it's quasi testing it's still valuable everybody should do it um, but the, the thing to take away here is to, to revert the change to really understand the incrementality of the change Right, because I, I actually did statistics at university alongside economics. Um, you wouldn't believe it when you hear me talking. But one <laughs> of the things is statistical reliability or whatever it's called. I can't remember anymore. It's 30 years ago. Um, comes after 7,000 of anything. Under 7,000. I seem to remember that as a number that my teachers were throwing at me. It's basically saying, if you've got 7,000 and something, you can probably rely on the fact the result is statistically relevant. That was the word. Uh, have you ever heard the number of 7,000? Uh, in different contexts, yes. And oh. to be fair, you know, like, I think, uh, like, you know, if you can work, if you want to run SEO experiments on a large site and you actually have a data scientist who who has a degree in math or statistics, um, there's a lot of depth to go down to and uh, a lot of things that they can help you with. So, yeah, like the number 7,000 or, you know, just this idea of 95% or 98% statistical significance, <laughs> there are ways to get there. Uh, and in best case, well, okay. you can help you with that. Yeah, no, the, the, the 95 percentile thingy, whatever that's called, in, well, it is called the 95th percentile, is you chop off the top five and the bottom five because they're outliers and you take that middle 90% and that's going to be more reliable. Is that something you guys do? Yes, yeah, yeah. We have a. I'm, I'm blessed with a with a fantastic data science team uh, who helps me with it, and we've built some tooling around that as well. But there are also some third party tools that you can rely on to help you finding, you know, um, the right control groups, finding uh, or basically he helping you set up a robust test design. Now, this is, you know, I think it's important to understand, and this is one of the messages that I have for everybody out there is that you can take it to that level of depth. But you should not think that either you go there or your tests don't make sense. Everybody should test no matter what. Thank but you. I'm if you're talking the about graph. the yes, here we go. So Key that value. was the the ninety fifth percentile, and Anton's just put it up on screen for people listening to the audio podcast. Carry on, Kevin. I'm sorry. No problem. Uh, so uh, yeah, you you definitely you want to test no matter what, even if your test doesn't isn't statistically perfect. It's better than no testing. What um, what, what Anton showed, and thanks for, for tuning that in here because it's super helpful, is the so-called p-value. And the p-value basically just tells you, hey, you have two hypotheses, right? You have this, what we call the null, null hypothesis, which is basically the current state. And then you have a new hypothesis. And the p-value tells you how confident you are that the null hypothesis or the way that it, it's currently set up uh, is not better. Right, so we're, we're talking. You know, it's it's getting a bit more complicated. But just know that high p value generally not a bad thing. Right. Okay. And if if we come back to the idea of do it yourself, like people who don't have a team like yours. Thank you, Brian. Great chat so far, goes so so far, guys from Brian Mosley. Thank you very much. I know you know a lot about it because you've got a tool that does this kind of thing at Semrush. Now we were talking about smaller things. I mean, I'd say clients of Semrush would probably be using Semrush for that. I don't really know, but as a do-it-yourself thing where you think, well, I'll just pick my highest traffic pages, divide them into two with about the same amount of traffic, split test one, and then look at Search Console to see what the results were. Would that be a fair way of going about it, or is that too haphazard and sticky, pa sticky tape and sellotape and string? <laughs> I think it's a great start, uh, JC. You know, if if you just do that, you've already you already have a leg up, right? That's what most right. people don't even start doing. Um, 
And, you know, I, I think you, now when we, come, when we speak about test design, there are a couple of things to look after, uh, after uh, before we even go into what you can test, right? When it, when it comes to good page, uh, good test design, we talked about a high traffic page or high traffic pages in general. Number mm. two is you, there's the duration of the test. And there are two ways to come at the duration. There is an actual, uh, an actual math you can put behind this based on how much traffic you get and how impactful you think the change you want to make will be. So more impactful changes, say in our case, the meta title, might not have to run as long on a high traffic page as something very subtle like um, maybe a small internal linking module or maybe a small change to the body copy, which takes a, a while to, to pick up and for the changes to really become visible. You know, there's this phenomena in statistics, which is the reversion to the mean. What it basically means is that when you start testing, at the beginning, you, in the beginning, you see a lot of volatility, right. and that volatility over time calms down, and it reverts to the mean, which is the real impact that you want to determine, or the real change, right? And so when you have highly impactful things that you want to test, like a meta title, it, it doesn't, it reverts to the mean relatively quickly. If you have a a more subtle factor that you want to test. It will take a longer time. So generally, I think the best duration is at least three to four weeks. Anything under that typically is is very tough to to you know um, to to become clear as an experiment. But there's also this there's also an approach where you can calculate the exact number of days that it takes to run an actual statistical test. Right, and in, in that three weeks, do you take into account the time for Google to crawl, reindex, and reevaluate? That's such a good point because that's also something that you want to make sure good test design means you look at the server log files and you make sure that Google has crawled the both the control page and the variant page. Because, I mean, I, I've been looking at the, the speed of indexing. Brian's asked a really complicated question. We can come back to that because I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> the, like, let's say a year ago, I did a video, in fact, for... Um, SEMrush about the speed of indexing, and I could get a new page indexing in, in a couple of seconds, well, a minute. And I actually did it live, and within a minute, it was showing the new meta description. And that was really cool, but uh, it's not like that anymore. I updated a meta title and meta description a few days ago. The meta title's been digested and used, and the meta description hasn't. And it's been a few days, and kind of that's also a problem. As you say, well, I started the test today. Is it tomorrow? Even if it gets crawled, even if I've submitted it through Search Console and checked that Googlebot has been around, is it actually looking at the data? Is it actually updating it? And has it actually taken it into account? And the answer is you don't know. Yes, yes. There's a lot of a lot of these like subtle factors that can make experiments uh, go sour. As you said, the, the crawl frequency, Google picking up the change. When we test things like internal linking at broader scale, that yeah. takes even longer, right? right? The more pages you test on, the the longer it takes Google to crawl all of them. So all these things should go into test design. It also uh, right. means that you need a certain amount of telemetry. You need to have that understanding. If you don't have access to your log files, it's it's getting more tricky out there, right? Again, doesn't shouldn't prevent you from testing, but yes, these are all things that you should in best case, take into account and measure over time, right? So another interesting observation would be when you make a change to a variant group of URLs, does it impact Google crawl frequency? Does Google actually come back more often? Mm -hmm. And what does that say? You know, has the backlink profile changed to these pages over time, right? These are all factors that you want to kind of take into account as good as you can. 
Yeah, I mean, we're just going back to the thing is you're making this one change, but there's so many other factors that are coming into play that immediately you start saying, well, that doesn't really count. And oh, maybe it's not fully. But if, if you can keep it, if, if you can implement it, keep it going for several weeks or several months, depending on the subtlety of the change, as you said earlier on, revert, then you've got a strong split testing environment where you can actually start to think, I might not be sure, but I certainly learned something and I've moved forwards in what I'm trying to do within my vertical, if we come back to that, within my specific vertical, which is going to be specific. And with Shopify, you must have gazillions of verticals. And that's my question. Are you split testing on your clients? <laughs> no, we're not split testing on our clients. <laughs> uh, we, we're, we're testing all sorts, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, you know, we have our own testing environments to some degree too, but no, we're not We're not split testing uh, our our clients. But there's a lot of anecdotal stuff that we pick up right. and at scale, you know, there's, there's some interesting patterns that emerge, um, but no, that would be... Well, uh, I mean, w w from, from my perspective, it, it comes back to what Russ Jeffrey was saying from Duda, is that they've got all these clients and they've got all this data, so they can actually say, here you go, the Core Web Vitals was his example, is the Core Web Vitals, after all that noise, didn't actually change anything. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's, absolutely. You, you, at this scale, you see a lot of interesting data and a lot of patterns, and uh, but there's also a lot of noise, right? People, like uh, Some merchants use uh, different uh, themes, right? They have a different level of SEO uh, in-house and so on. So there is actually a lot of noise out there. Um, but... Right. Yeah, but you, you can you can do quite a lot at that scale, right? Even if you have you know some of these larger sites at G two, for example, uh, we did a lot of um, uh, testing, and that was a very templatized site, and it was feasible because we had a large number of pages in the index. So at right. a certain scale, no matter what type of business you are, whether you're a platform or a SaaS business or a marketplace, uh, it it gets really interesting. Um, right. And, and basically, you've been doing this for years. You've been doing it on massive sites, so you really know what you're talking about. But Peter Mead asks a question about uh, paid search, because it is it really easy. You say, right, I'll do this split test. And now, now he's said that. I immediately think, yeah, it's so obvious. I have done it on paid traffic. Why did I never do it on SEO? Yeah, Peter, a good, good, you know, thanks for asking the question. Good seeing you again. Uh, we met, uh, in Sydney a couple of years ago. Uh, Peter's a great lad. And, yeah. you know, it's funny because there are actually things that you can learn from, from, uh, paid split testing and then transfer them over to your organic strategy, right? Like title testing, for example, or the mm -hmm. copy itself that can have a true impact and you can measure. Uh, how people react to a page, right? Uh, Jason, as you and I both know, the actual experience on the page and how helpful it is in solving your problem matters more and more in SEO. And you can test right. it with paid, paid traffic. Yeah, sorry, no, I was agreeing. I was, but in fact, I, in paid traffic, I, do, I like to do DSA. And DSA is dynamic search ads, which is basically Google ads running off the search algorithm. So if you're a great SEO, DSA is brilliant. And in fact, that's why I went, ooh, at one point, is that if you're running DSA campaigns off your SEO, you can change some things in DSA and then do split testing without having to get involved in your SEO. But you can also do the split test on the SEO and measure it in Google ads by pure numbers, how much money am I making? And that's just just uh, give me a great idea for a client because we've got a brilliant DSA campaign, and that's something I will now be doing as of tomorrow morning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with uh, with organic and paid 
results you know uh, this is whole own kind of conversation and maybe do a follow-up at yeah. some point in time but when it comes to just sheer testing right you can also taste different te test not taste test different <laughs> value propositions on organic versus paid on the same SERP and see how that changes the game but you know now we're now now I'm, I'm venturing off too far coming back to like good test design right? we spoke about the duration we spoke about the importance of having a lot of traffic on these pages mm -hmm. in good control group there's also this idea of a cool down period and so this is another thing that I learned, which when you run a test on a set of URLs, you revert the changes, you see, ah, okay, this change brought a 5% increase and in, in click, you know, the incrementality. You want to give these URLs a couple of weeks or at least one week of a cooldown period before you run another test on them, just simply to make sure that nothing else changes that you could run you know, this is also something that I learned the hard way and that I forgot initially. And then you, of course, it goes, it should go without saying, but actually, you know, in, in practicality is often overlooked. You don't want to run several tests on the same URLs. You want to make sure there's only one test running right. on a set of pages at the same time. Right. Yeah. I, sorry, when you said cool down period, I thought of an angry teenager. But in <laughs> fact, you, you just mean that kind of Google needs time to settle down and digest and, and not be freaked out. I mean, I, I look at Google in that kind of terms is you can throw a big change at it and it can digest it. But if you if you do that too often, it just freaks out and you will see this big dip. And I just kind of see it, the machine just going, I'm not sure anymore. And to be safe, I'll just get rid of it while I think about it and then bring it back. Um, so I kind of tend to warn clients, be very careful about changing multiple things very quickly over time because you're going to freak the machine out because it is a little bit sensitive. And it does work on confidence a great deal. I think kind of we fail to realize there is this idea of confidence in an algorithm. And if it's confident, it will throw things forward and to the top. And if it's not, it will kind of go, well, if I'm not sure, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. You, all you have to do is look on page four, five, six on the Google search results for any given keyword, and you see the results that Google is uh, very, very unconfident in promoting in any way. And it's like you find the craziest things, uh, uh, you know, on these pages. But uh, yes, you want to you want to give it a cool down period. You also want to see is anything else changing unexpectedly. And also, if the test is over for, like, say, like a week, and then all of a sudden there's like a major dip or spike in traffic, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what, what happened here? Is that is that unrelated to mm -hmm. my test? Was there some sort of a lagging factor that played a role here where maybe your test didn't run long enough? So cooldown period, in incredibly helpful to make sure that your own confidence in the test results is incredibly mm -hmm. high. And and how do you deal with stuff like kind of trending news that might kind of affect or seasonality that might, I mean, obviously seasonality, you need to take that into account because you should know the seasonality for your own products in your own business and your own industry. But, you know, trending news that you can't predict that yeah. suddenly changes the, 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 the scape. I mean, for example, more impressions that you didn't usually get or a news box turning up at the top of the SERP, which suddenly changes the entire SERP. Yeah, exactly. Or here, how, how Hans mentions, uh, Google update, middle of the test. All these things. The most obvious one is the one I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but they all kill your test. It's dead. Uh, you can start from scratch. And, and especially during a core update or a larger Google update, right. uh, you, you want to wait until things, quote unquote, cool down. Now, the, the, exception is when you picked a control that, would Im that was impacted the same way, then you're actually good, right? Uh, same accounts for seasonality. That's one of the, the reasons for why you want to pick a control to, to normalize for mm. or equate for seasonality. Uh, but there are factors that can kill your test. Like, again, some 
like a, a, a query um, all of a sudden deserving freshness and a news box showing up uh, or again like a, a couple of very impactful backlinks going to one of the pages that you're testing like all these kind of things they they just kill your test uh, which leads to another important thing and that is kind of the um, the like retesting the same thing over. Uh, it's not the first thing that you want to do. I think when you just get started with SEO tests, you just want to like test a couple of things and and uh, get a bit of skin in the game and, and gain some experience. But over time, especially with um, with things that you tested that, you, that that seem to move the needle quite a lot, it is smart to test them again and repeat the same mm. test to make sure that it still results in the same impact. And th- so you can, you know, this is like, you do this with with very high impact uh, factors, but then also if there's um, a significant amount of time that has passed since the last time you tested this thing, you want to test it again because these factors change over time. Uh, and there is actually like it's very interesting just in, in testing in general. There's this like crisis of repeatability where a lot of some of the biggest tests, for example, in psychology or uh, economy. Um, actually yield very different results when you test them again these days, which has led to a crisis in the scientific community. Uh, and long story short, you just want to be aware and conscious that you might want to retest some of the things uh, over and over again, just to make sure that they still work the, the way that you think they work. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it, it could just be a one-off and you've got to be careful about that. Now, um, the question from Brian that he asked earlier on was, can you explain the difference between neural networks and Google causal impact for analyzing the results. Now, I don't even know what Google causal impact is, so I don't understand the question because I don't understand the most important word in it. Do you understand? Yes, Google causal impact is actually pretty cool. Uh, it is a uh, an open source library for R, uh, which you can use to, to run and evaluate uh, tests um, that basically uses Bayesian... Um, testing or patient time series uh, for, for testing. So here's what this means, right? Uh, R, this really cool tool that you can use, uh, you can also use uh, Python, but R is, is very popular in the data science community for evaluating large data sets. And causal impact is an open source library for Google that allows you to run these Bayesian tests. And, and the idea of Bayesian testing is actually brilliant. Um, I wrote an article on my blog about this a while ago because you can run Bayesian tests, but you can also just adopt Bayesian thinking in itself. And so here's what this means. Um, We spoke earlier about how some tests, you know, like in the beginning, they might not be super reliable or super robust, but you're slowly iterating your way to the optimal solution over time by running several tests. And in best case, these tests are all connected with each other and that's the idea of Bayesian testing. In fact, I think um, so. So uh, Bayes, like lived a couple hundred years ago, is this guy uh, who became super smart. Not in his lifetime; like he became super smart after his death, like most people during that time. Uh, <laughs> but um, he, he basically what he did is what he said is okay. If I have an apple in my hand and I throw it over my shoulder without seeing where it should land, and I'm aiming to throw the apple in a bowl. The first time I throw it and it doesn't hit the bowl, I know where the bowl is not. So the more often I throw the, bo- the apple over my shoulders, the better my understanding of where the bowl is not and what not to do, right? So you can iterate your way towards right. the optimal solution. You can do the same in SEO testing. And there's a, a simple but, but elegant method to it where you say, okay, if I made, for example, a change to my title tag and I, I see that the impact is 5%, 
then I can run a, another test within the same confines within the title tag as well that might be slightly related but is different. And that initial test results can be the basis for the next test, right? right. So I can say, for example, hey, making a change to a title might result in a 10% increase in clicks. Now, let's test something else in the title and use those 10% as the basis and see how that other test shakes out. And so you run five or 10 of these tests in a row, all of a sudden you have a really good understanding of title testing. And causal impact can help you get there in a, in a technical way. Right. But my only problem with that is that with five tests, with the cooling off period, well, the crawling period, the testing period, the, the, the reverting period, and the cooling off period, whatever you were calling it, you're looking at a year to do those five tests, more or less, by which time the algorithms have changed again. Potentially, yes, absolutely. That's why testing <laughs> SEO testing never stops, right? It's a continuous process. And the best SEO teams in the world, in my mind, they have a high degree of testing because they are aware of that. Um, but and, and, but yeah, you're right. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. And I don't think most companies spend enough resources to, to go after it because it is such a high effort. Right. And would it be incredibly foolish if you've got a massive site to, to do four different split tests with one single um, baseline at one time? Or is that completely foolish? No, it's not foolish. Uh, it will help you um, iterate over time, just get smarter about this. It's not technically Bayesian testing, right? But it doesn't matter. It's still it's still interesting mm. and still valid because what if two of these tests turn out positive, two of those turn out negative, and you can pin it down back to, to what exactly you change? Now, all of a sudden, you got smarter and you can run some follow-up tests. So, yes, in essence, you know, the more tests you can you can run simultaneously, the faster you can iterate, right? And this is the same thing in user testing. Uh, in fact, most startups measure as one indicator of growth and, exp and, 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 uh, and, and progress, they measure the test velocity. How many tests have we run in a certain amount of period and can right. we increase it over time? So it is not foolish at all. Brilliant. Wonderful. That's great. In fact, that also makes me now, the, the whole conversation, it's not, the, that wasn't the topic, but predictive SEO. I was talking to Rebecca Burble from OnCrawl and Andrea Volpini from WordLift about predictive SEO at Brighton SEO. And there was so much noise and they were trying to explain it to me and I just couldn't get my head around it. But you indirectly have just made me incredibly keen to, to, to look into that because from what I understand, it's saying this is what will happen if we don't do anything. Let's mm. see what happens when we do do something. And I'm suddenly incredibly interested. So, Rebecca, if you do hear this, please come on the show. Thank you very much, Indig. Kevin, excuse me. <laughs> that was absolutely delightful. Um, and I'm just going to announce next week, which is Gerano, Gennaro Cuafano from WordLift strangely enough, who's going to be talking about looking at Google SERP as a product and something I'm incredibly interested in. He, he analyzes um, uh, financial statements from companies much like Bill Slowski reads patents, and he tries to figure out from the business model what it is they're doing and where they're going. It's phenomenally interesting. And the idea that the SERP is actually Google's product and that when they're creating these results, they're designing a product, which is something Nathan Chalmers from Bing told me. He's the whole page algorithm guy at Bing. Basically, his job is to design Bing's product because they want, or obviously it's where they're making their money from. So that's going to be phenomenally interesting. And I am stunned by already what Gennaro shared in an email. Um, and I won't share it with you because it will spoil the surprise, but it's going to be brilliant. Gennaro is delightful. Kevin, you were wonderful, charming. 
and you get the outro song. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Kevin. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. That was brilliant. That was awesome. I, I had a great time here.